We're starting a new message series this morning on the book of Jonah. And uh, I really like the book of Jonah. It's a, it's a short book in the Bible. Um, it's just four chapters long, but it's extremely uh, practical and, and relevant. And so over the next four weeks, we're going to be taking a look at um, basically one chapter a week from the book of Jonah and uh, in, in, in applying it to our lives. Uh, this, this week, we want to take a look at chapter one. And chapter one is this, the, the theme of it is basically about running from God. And what I want you to take from this is we can run from God but we cannot hide from God. Now, maybe several of us in here have tried running from God in our lives. And frankly, if we haven't done it, we've known people who've tried to do it. Um, And if you've ever tried to run from God, you will feel good about this. You are not alone. Uh, Because Jonah, one of the prophets of God, uh, we see in, in, in the book of Jonah, he too is trying to run from God, but it does not work out real well. He's running from God because God is calling for him to go to this um, a very majestic ancient city, uh, the, the city of Nineveh. Uh, and in the city of Nineveh is one of the great cities in, in early civilization. Shortly after the time of the flood, uh, Nimrod founded the city uh, and it became a, a great city. It, it ultimately became the capital of Assyria and of that Assyrian empire. Um, and, and for many years, it was the largest city on the earth. And and God calls Jonah to go to this city because ultimately this city, as many large cities, uh, becomes very wicked. And God is sending Jonah there to preach its destruction. So let's take a look at our text this morning, starting in Jonah chapter 1. And let's take a look at verses 1 to 3. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh. And preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and he headed to Tarshish. And he went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for the port. And after paying the fare, he went aboard and he sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Now, God calls for Jonah to go to Nineveh. But instead, Jonah goes to Tarshish to understand what Jonah's doing. Because this is interesting. It's not like God called for Jonah to go to Nineveh. And Jonah's just like, no, I'm going to stay right here. He actually does the exact opposite of what God calls for him to do. So that you can understand it. Take a look at that map. So Jonah goes down to the port in Joppa. And rather than going to Nineveh, which was 550 miles in one direction, he heads for Tarshish, which is 2,500 miles in the other direction. So that's a difference of about 3,000 miles. It's basically, at that time of the world, like going to the other end of the world. Now, we're going to have to wait a couple more weeks in the text to see why it is Jonah is going basically 3,000 miles in the opposite direction of Nineveh. But what Jonah finds out real quick is that you can run from God, but you can't hide. Jonah boards the boat and the boat sets sail for Tarshish. And it's not long after it sets sail that a violent storm arises. The storm is so violent that the the people on the, the, the vessel actually are afraid that the, 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 the ship is going to break up. 
And so they literally start taking some of its cargo and throwing it over uh, to try to lighten the, the ship to throwing it into the sea. Now, I want you to think just how bad that must have been. Uh, imagine you are the captain of that vessel or the sailors. That's how you're going to get paid. Not only that's how you're going to get paid, there's someone who's supposed to re receive those products in Tarshish that won't be paying for those, but someone who made them that wants payment and who's going to be on the hook for that is going to be the people on the boat. It's so bad that they're risking, you know, how much ever uh, of their future pay because they don't think that they're going to survive otherwise. And so they begin to throw all of the contents of, of the boat overboard. But it doesn't help. They're still afraid for their lives and, and it feels like the boat is still going to break up. And so what people start doing is everyone begins to pray to their own God. Now, mind you, this is not a group of like Israelites on the boat. These are sailors from all different parts of the, the, the world or of that near world in, in, in that time. And they all have different gods. Some believe in a God, but many of them have multiple gods. And so the, the ship's about to break up and everyone's pleading to who it is that they believe in that their God would answer them in their time of distress, except for one person. And that is Jonah. Uh, he goes to the belly of the ship and he's sound asleep. He's in a deep sleep. And the captain of the vessel, as he's looking around and making his rounds, goes down to the belly of the ship and he can't believe that Jonah's asleep in, in the belly of the ship. So he wakes up Jonah and he insists that Jonah too pray to his God so that they would potentially be rescued from this pending destruction. And so nothing is working, so they decide to kind of cast lots to figure out who's responsible. Look at Jonah chapter 1, verses 7 to 10. So then the sailors said to each other, come, let us cast lots to see who's responsible for this calamity. Now, at that time, they were a bit superstitious. If if something good happened, there must be a reason why something good happened. And if something bad is happening, there must be a reason why. It can't just be that a storm blew up. There's a reason why this great calamity is coming upon you. Um, and, and honestly, they were right. There was a reason. Uh, so they do something called the casting of lots, and I've talked to you about that in the past. Uh, it could be done multiple ways. It could be done through like dice. It could be done through almost picking like uh, straws or sticks to see who gets the short one. It's a way to remove any kind of human involvement out so that God or the gods, depending on what your belief system was, would be able to communicate to tell you who was responsible. Because in their minds, and once again, they were correct, there's a reason why this violent storm uh, is, is about to destroy the vessel, and they want to figure out whose fault it is. So they cast lots to find out who's responsible. And the lot falls on Jonah. And so they asked Jonah, tell us, who is responsible for making all this trouble for us? What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? What's your country? From what people are you? And he answered, I am a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Now this terrified them, and they asked, what have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them so. And so Jonah just tells them, listen, 
I'm the one responsible. I'm running away from God. God made the earth. He made the sea. He made it all. And he's doing this because of me. Just throw me overboard. But the people refused to do it because to throw an innocent man overboard would cause God or the, the gods, depending on your belief system uh, or their belief system, uh, to be angry because you can't throw an innocent man overboard and, and kill him. So they're afraid to do it. Jonah knows that, you know what, he doesn't even care at this point. He knows that he can run from God, but he knows he can't hide. That's why he was asleep in the bottom of the boat. Whatever's going to happen is going to happen. He knows that his God is sovereign and supreme. So just listen, throw me over. Uh, God can have his way with me and, and, and I'll just die. But they won't do it. Instead, they like row as feverishly as they can, uh, trying to fight the, the, the storm to try to get themselves out of the storm. But it's of no use. And they're certainly all going to die. So they had no choice but to throw Jonah overboard. Jonah chapter 1, 14 to 16. So then they cried out to the Lord, please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Don't hold us accountable for killing an innocent man, for you, Lord, have done as you pleased. Then they took Jonah and they threw him overboard and the raging sea grew calm. At this, the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. And so when I looked at this text, when I thought about it, the ultimate theme of it is this. You can run from God, but you cannot hide. And I said, like, some of us in here maybe have tried to run from God in the past. And, and th this would be a time in which I'd normally like to give you an example when I tried to run from God in my life and, 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 and just kind of share that as we kind of wrap our, our minds around what it means. But I have to be honest with you. Like, I, I thought about it all week. I preached it. This is the third time this morning. I can't come up with a time in my life where really I feel like I've, was running from God. Now that doesn't mean that I never have. If you know my memory, like I, I, I may very well have, I just don't remember it, right? And though I don't remember ever like trying to run from God, I do remember many times in my life trying to run from my older brother because he's always two and a half years older than me, still is. And he was always a hundred pounds heavier than me. I'm catching up on him a little bit, but still kind of is. And there was many times growing up that I had to run from him because he was rather violent. I, I was remembering uh, as I was working with this message and kind of thinking about running and hiding, I was thinking about one time I went back to New York for uh, the Christmas break. My parents are divorced. My brother stayed with my dad. I moved away with my mom. And so I would come back uh, probably every other uh, Christmas or so. So I happened to be back this Christmas, that Christmas. My, my dad was at work. And so it was just me and my brother at the house during the day. And uh, I have no idea how old I was when this happened. Let's just say I was 12. But we had a three-wheeler and it had snowed. And my brother had this grand idea that it would be a great idea to, to tie a sled up to the three-wheeler, have me drive it around the property because we kind of lived in the country. And, and he would ride the, the, the sled, uh, you know, as kind of a ride as I'm driving the three-wheeler. Now, mind you, no one's home. It's a three-wheeler, which they turned out not to be safe. I'm not wearing a helmet. He's, and, and he's like just laying flat on, on a sled as, as I'm pulling him around the yard. Now, the physics of it all, I mean, and when, when you turn that three-wheeler, you know, that, that sled's going to kind of just whip out a little bit. 
And there was a couple of different times that as I'm, you know, driving around the property in the yard, and there's a lot of trees on it. Inevitably, as it whipped out, the, the sled would head to a tree. And so there'd be my brother having to let go of the sled in enough time so that he didn't go crashing in the tree. And it kind of ticked him off after a while. Now, mind you, I wasn't intending to do that. I'm just a 12-year-old kid trying to drive this because I know he's going to beat me up if I don't, right? And, and so the, it, the last time it happened, he's like, if you don't, you know, this is if you run me into one more tree, I'm going to kill you, that type thing, right? So now, like, I'm driving nervously. Like, if I don't drive, he's going to beat me up. And if I happen to put him into a tree, he's going to beat me up. So I'm driving, and I'm doing a little better this time, right? I'm conscious of where the trees are. But I'm trying to take a real gentle turn at this one spot, hoping, hoping, hoping it doesn't kind of kick out. And sure enough, it kicks out. I look back, and there's my brother tumbling across the snow as the sled piles into, like, in a tree, and I kid you not, before that three-wheeler stopped, I'm off of it and I'm hoofing it. <laughs> Knowing that I need to run from my brother and then hide from my brother. Now, he's a little heavier than me, so even though I was younger, I could run a little quicker. And so I think like we had a couple laps around the house in the snow. And, and, and eventually I darted into the house and I went upstairs to the upstairs bathroom because all the other locks had one of those, you could pull out a pen, you know, and poke the pen and kind of pick the lock. But the bathroom upstairs had one of these like slide bolt type things. You just, you know, pull it down, slide it over and up. And so I get up in the bathroom and, and I lock that and I know I'm safe. But he knows where I went or eventually finds me and he's just pounding on that bathroom door like he's ready to get his revenge. And uh, I don't remember if I stayed in there till my dad got home. I don't know if I stayed in there two hours until he calmed down a little bit and then I you know, took whatever punishment was going to come my way. But, but like in the end, you know, I could run from him, but ultimately I couldn't hide. And that's how it is in terms of our relationship with God. In fact, as we look at one of the opening stories of the Bible, we see that is exactly what's going on, is that Adam and Eve were trying to hide from God. You remember the story God told Adam and Eve, listen, all of this that I've created for you in the garden, any tree that, that I've created that has fruit, you can eat of it. But there's one tree. It's a tree that I'm going to basically test uh, my, your obedience to me. It, 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 the tree in the middle of the garden of Eden, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, of that you will not eat because if you eat of it, you'll die. And what does Satan do? Satan comes and he he tempts Adam and Eve and he starts with Eve and he's like, eh, it's not that you're going to die. And, and he, God just, you know, knows the fruit tastes good. And he knows that when you eat of it, you're going to be more like him knowing good and evil. And he doesn't want that. And he convinces Eve to do it. She eats of it. Then Adam eats of it. And then God comes looking for them. And what are they doing? They're hiding or trying to from God. Genesis 3, 8 to 10. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? And Adam answered, here I am. I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. They were trying to run from God. They were trying to hide. But we cannot run from God and we cannot hide. Jonah found that out. We see it with the first, one of the first stories in the Bible. 
Now, I talked about how some of us in here maybe have tried to run from God, maybe even hide from God in our lives. So I wanted to explore what are some of the reasons that will cause us to, to try to avoid God or run from God, even hide from God. And the first one, and probably the biggest reason that we'll do it, is because of our sin. Uh, we see it in the, that, that, that's what Adam and Eve, they sinned against God, and so they, they were hiding from God. You know, you commit a crime, someone's driving down the road and they're going uh, 90 in a 60. Not only are they doing that, they actually have a warrant out. And not only do they have a warrant out, but they've got some drugs and gun in the car. They know that if they pull over, it's not going to work out really well. They're, they're going to be arrested and they're going to go to jail. So they got one or two choices. They can either pull over and, and be arrested and go to jail, or, or you can try to get away. You can you tr try to run. You, you can try to hide from the police. It's similar in terms of our relationship with God when we sin. Uh, we, can, we, can, we have one or two choices. We can either like run from God and, and hide from God, and we hide from God. We stop going to church. We stop praying. Our relationship with God becomes separated. Why? Because we're embarrassed because of our sin. So that's one option, and many people will do that because of their sin. But the other option is, is basically to to come and to surrender to God, to acknowledge to God that, that we've, we've sinned against him and to confess our sin and to receive his forgiveness. The good news is this. I, even though we've all probably tried to run from God in our sin, the good news is God never stops loving us. Uh, think about it in terms of your own children. In your, just say your older teens or, or your, your children in like their early 20s, whatever their age is, there may have been something that happened. Listen, they're living their life in a very destructive way. You don't approve of it. And what's going to happen? They're going to stop calling you. Maybe they only call you once a month. Maybe they only call you a couple times a year. Why? Because they're running away from you because they don't want to hear what you have to say. Even when that happens, you don't stop loving your kids. And, and so it is with us in our relationship with God. Even though we run away from him out of shame because we don't want to hear what he has to say, God doesn't stop loving us. He'll never stop pursuing us. Uh, Jesus himself says, listen, I will leave the 99 who have not run off in order to chase down the one that has. Uh, he shares the story of the prodigal son. And the prodigal son is the one who took half of all that his dad owned and he went and in wild living, he squandered it and did all kinds of horrible things. But when that son repented, when that son returned home, the father was so glad to see the son come home that he has a great celebration celebration, a great feast, a great party, because that which was lost has now been found. So we've all probably at different times in our lives ran, ran from God because of our sin and certain things that we're doing in our lives. The good news is God never stops pursuing us. Are you running from God because of certain sins that might be in control of your life? You know, maybe some of us are dealing with addictions to drugs or to alcohol, and, and we're constantly, you know, waking up every morning and, and feeling bad about ourselves, and it's causing a separation, uh, if you will, spiritually in our relationship with God. 
Uh, maybe some of us in here are struggling with uh, some porn issues or some other morality issues. Maybe some of us in here in our work or if we own our own business, um, we're not dealing ethically and we know it in our heart. So we stopped going to church very regularly. Maybe we're just kind of going infrequently. And we can run, but you're not going to be able to hide from God. The better thing is to acknowledge your sin, acknowledge your failings, acknowledge your shortcomings, and confess your sins and come back to God and he will forgive us. Another reason why we run from God is that our will is different from his will. And that causes us to run from God. In a couple weeks, we're going to find out that's what's going on with Jonah. He's got a certain will and God's got a different one. And, you know, maybe many of us in here have had a collision course with God in terms of our will versus his will. And, and I think that's a big deal in today's world because there's so much about the word of God that is, that is contrary to what society has embraced as normal and as acceptable. And when there's a disconnect between the will of God and, and our own will, somehow that's got to be reconciled. That's going to be reconciled by surrendering our will to his or running away from him. When I was in high school, my freshman year in high school, I uh, dated this girl for about a year. And, um, and after, uh, while I was dating her, I got to know her family. And I know that one of, there's three in the family, uh, one of her brothers, it was her and two brothers, one of them was gay. Um, and so we dated for about a year and like, I didn't talk to her real frequently for, for the next three years in high school. Uh, we went to college in the same city. I maybe talked to her over those four years uh, a handful of times at most and, and really kind of lost contact. Um, I remember when I came back uh, to this area as a pastor that I, I actually happened to come across her parents at one point and I was asking about her. I asked how she was doing. Is she started to settle down? Did she find a guy? When she going to get married? When she going to have kids? And, and they didn't really respond. They just kind of sat there and were smiling, but their eyes were like this big. And I didn't quite figure it out and I didn't understand what was going on or whatever. And I, I think maybe sometime later I ended up uh, becoming Facebook friends and I saw, oh, well, she became gay too. And, and what I found out during that t discussion with the parents is they weren't going to church anymore. Um, and, and the situation was this, they had two of their three kids that were gay and, and the guy was involved in, in a lodge and especially at that time, uh, a lot of churches weren't embracing of, of people that were part of Lodge because there were just certain things about the Lodge that uh, kind of had religious elements and themes to it. And so the, the church kind of uh, looked down upon that. So the, the, the family, the dad and the mom, was faced with the fact that two of their kids uh, were living outside of the will of God. And, and even the dad was involved with something that was seen at that time as being outside of the will of God. And you have to reconcile that. And you're going to either reconcile that by surrendering like this is outside of the will of God and, and, and I'm going to love you, but I'm not going to condone it or, and then I'm going to stop doing this or you're going to run away. And, and they just stopped going to church altogether. What's difficult about this one when it comes to the will of God is it's not always a matter of sin or not sin because the will of God is much more complicated than that. Listen, there was nothing inherently wrong about Jonah hopping on a boat that was going to Tarshish, except this. God's will was that he would go to Nineveh. 
And so take your occupation. You have the choice of doing this for a living, that for a living, or that for a living. None of these are sinful. They're all legal jobs. But if God's wanting you to do this and you choose to do that, you're going against the will of God and you're going to know it. And there's going to be some struggle and some discontent there in, in your heart. You might have a group of friends and there's nothing like legal or illegal about having this group of friends or that group of friends. But in the end, you know that this isn't the best group of friends for you. In fact, God would rather you have better influences in your life. And so you stay with this friends versus that friend. Well, you're going against the will of God and there's going to be some disconnect in your life and in your relationship with God over it. Take something like the use of money. I, there's nothing sinful about, you know, spending a fortune on a house. There's nothing sinful about uh, spending, you know, a, a lot of money on uh, cars or, or clothes. I mean, if you've got the money, it's, there's nothing illegal and there's nothing sinful necessarily about that. But if God's calling you to use your money to help people who are in need uh, to support ministry and do these different things, and you're choosing to do these other things that are apart from the will of God, there's going to be a little tension there. There's going to be a little disconnect. How about how you use your time. I mean, if you're using your time, there's lots of different things that can take up our time from, from our work to our family, to our activities, to our hobbies, to our friends. And, and, and there's nothing wrong with that. But if it's God's will that you use your time uh, maybe to help others or to do some of these other things and you're doing something different, there, there, there's going to be a problem there. And so what's diff, difficult in this is, is when our will is different than the will of God, it may not necessarily even be sinful, but ultimately it's going to cause a disconnect between you and God. And you're going to resolve that by one or two ways. You're going to either surrender to the will of God or you're going to pull away from him. Another reason why we can run away from God is sometimes we become angry with God. And in all my years of ministry, when I see people going through hurt and heartache and difficulty, one or two things is going to happen. That's going to cause them to grow closer to God and to lean into God or they can become angry with God and pull away. Someone loses a loved one unexpectedly, suddenly, and at a young age. You're either going to lean into God to comfort you through that, or you're going to become angry with God and you're going to pull away. You or someone you love gets raped. You or someone you love gets murdered. You or someone you love experiences a horrific event. Maybe it's a tornado and your grandchild died in the tornado. Maybe it was just even a painful divorce. When we go through very difficult times in our lives, we're either going to lean into God or we're going to turn to God and say, listen, if you, are, if, you, if you are a God of love, why in the world would you allow this to happen to me? And we can become angry with God. I love the story of Joseph, uh, Jacob's, one of Jacob's 12 sons in the Bible. And there's other stories like this, but uh, the story kind of goes like this. Joseph um, he, he was favored by his parents and, and ultimately favored by God, but his brothers were very jealous of him because of that. So they decide to beat up their brother one day. They had brothers like my brother. Um, they decided to beat up their brother one day and, and they threw him in, in a well and they're trying to figure out what to do with him. Uh, and so these, these slave traders come by and so they sell him to the slave traders and they take him to Egypt. Now Joseph has every reason to become angry with God that 
God did not protect him from these brothers that beat him up, threw him into a well, and sold him to slave traders. But it gets worse. They, 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 these slave traders take him to Egypt, and in Egypt he gets sold to this high official in the Egyptian government. And it seems like things are starting to work out a little bit for him until uh, that high official's wife starts hitting on Joseph. And, and, and like Joseph doesn't respond, he doesn't uh, reciprocate that hitting, uh, hitting on him. And so uh, she becomes a little nervous that he's going to accuse her of this. So she accuses him of raping her, even though he didn't touch her. Her husband believes her rather than him. Now Joseph not only finds himself as a slave in Egypt, but he's thrown into the king's dungeon. And it's not looking good. He has every reason to be angry with God about where he finds himself from favored child, blessed child to sold into to slave, to beat up by his brother, sold into slavery, accused of rape when he didn't do it in, in prison. He, he, not due to anything of himself, he finds himself in this horrible situation. Well, the situation improves because while he's in prison, he interprets some people's dreams. And when one of those gets out of prison and the Pharaoh has dreams that no one can interpret, they said, hey, I was in prison with this guy. He could interpret dreams. Joseph gets brought before Pharaoh. He interprets the dreams. Pharaoh's so pleased with Joseph, he puts him in charge of uh, second in command of all of Egypt. And suddenly his fortunes change. Now, one day his brothers end up coming to Egypt because there's a famine in the land. And, and they're standing before their brother and they don't recognize that Joseph is his brother, their brother because he's dressed like an Egyptian and he's speaking their language and, and, and they ask him for food because of the famine in the land. And, and ultimately, Joseph reveals himself to his brothers and, and they're scared to death because they think that they're gonna be punished, put in prison or killed because of what they did to him when he's younger. Look at, look at Joseph's response, Genesis 50, 18 to 19. Now his brothers then came and they threw themselves down before him. We are your slaves, they said. But Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. You see, this is how we have to look at life when life deals us blows. This is how Joseph, he could have been angry with his brother, but he understands that in the midst of all the pain that he experienced, in the midst of all the suffering and everything, that God somehow, some way was going to work through it and was working through it. Which reminds me of Romans 8.28, which we would do well to remind ourselves of when pain and difficulty and suffering comes into our lives. And it's this, and we know that in all things, God will work for the good of those who love him and who have been called according to his purpose. Not just in the good things, not just in the sort of okay things, not in the sort of bad things, but even in the most pain and suffering that we're dealing with where we can't understand what's going on. It's not our role, it's not our job to be angry with God and to push God away, but to trust that somehow, some way, in the midst of all this pain, all this suffering, God will work good in our lives. Another reason people run from God is just simply unbelief. I don't know if you heard, but back in December at the, uh, the courthouse in, in Iowa, uh, a group of, uh, of uh, people set up a satanic display in December in the courthouse. Um, were they Satanists? I don't think so. They just didn't believe in God and they just thought it would be funny to make that point. 
at the most holy time of the year in the Christian calendar. We all know people who don't believe, they're running away from God. And just like anyone who's running away, you can call out to them, but they're not going to hear it, they're not going to accept it, and they're not going to respond to it. Now, for all of us in here, maybe at different times in our lives, we've tried to run away from God, but obviously that's not where we're at right now because we're here. So this is my, my kind of caution and encouragement to all of us in here today. Sometimes it's not so much as a run away from God, but a drift away from God. We, we've all seen it happen at the movies, right? It, it, it's some like thing that, horror event that we all fear. If you've ever been out on the ocean and, and gone swimming in the ocean or snorkeling or diving or whatever, it's like people lose kind of uh, where the boat's at and when they surface, they see the boat in the distance. But the problem is, is the current is, is moving the boat faster. The wind is blowing the boat faster across the water than where they're at and they can see it and it's getting further away further away and further away. I think that's how it is in terms of our relationship with God. It's not that we're trying to run away from God, but, but he's, he's drifting away from us and, and it gets to the point that we can't catch up. This can happen a lot of different ways. Maybe it's laziness and I see this all the time, right? People start coming to church and they're here like every week, but slowly over time, every week becomes uh, twice a month. And then it becomes once a month, and then about once every six weeks. And, and then it's maybe just a couple times a year, and then you just don't ever see them again. Laziness can, can, can kind of cause that drift to happen. And maybe it's just the, the movies that we're watching, right? We don't think anything of it, but what those movies are teaching, it, it might be culturally relevant and appropriate, but it's totally against what the Bible teaches, and you watch enough of it, and it just kind of brainwashes and conditions you to a normality that isn't normal at all by God's word. Maybe it's the music that we listen to. Maybe it's the parties that we go to. Maybe it's the frequency that, that we uh, get involved with alcohol or, or addiction to drugs. Uh, the people in the places that we go, our heart and heart that we develop. There's, there's just a lot of different ways in which God might be drifting further and further away from where we're at. Well, the good news is this is the first Sunday of the new year, and what are we going to do about it? What are we putting in place so that we can ensure that, that, that God is not drifting away from us. Well, here's some things that we can do. Uh, we, we can set our hearts and minds to have a prayer routine in, in this new year. Uh, maybe you don't have a real strong prayer routine and, and maybe you set up that, you know what, I'm going to set aside 10 minutes every day in this new year to, to, to pray to God. Maybe for some of us, it's, it's that we're going to set up a, a Bible study uh, or a Bible reading plan. Maybe we haven't been, maybe we used to read the Bible regularly, but we've gotten a little sloppy with it and, and we're only reading it maybe every once every month or every two months. We can set up like a Bible reading plan to try to read the Bible in a year. Maybe it's committing to going to Bible study on Wednesday nights or Sunday mornings or Tuesday mornings or maybe even at some other place. Maybe it's, it's, it's a church routine, you know, rather than, than going uh, once a month, as we did in the previous year, maybe our goal is we're going we're gonna to set to come to church three times a month in, in this year. Maybe it's a serving routine. Maybe it's been five years, seven years since we really were involved in serving in the church. Make it be your goal this year that, that you're trying to serve at least maybe once a month. There's a lot of different ways in which we can do it, but we need to hear the encouragement of James in James uh, chapter four, verse eight. James says this, come near to God and he will come near to you. 
Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Come near to God. He, he might be drifting away, but, but don't allow it. If you come near to God, he will come near to you. In the end, in this new year, I'd encourage us all to try to run with God rather than run from him. Because ultimately, resisting God's will, we're going to see this with Jonah, resisting God's will will never work out well. You, you're not able to fight the will of God. And it got me thinking of a time when I was in high school. We were, uh, my church group, we took a, uh, a float trip on the Frio River. And it was uh, to, uh, the Frio's like southwest of San Antonio. And, and it was a great time. The water was cold, especially in the middle of a Texas summer. And, and the river would have these little waterfalls. Um, not huge waterfalls. You could ride them in the tube, but just enough to kind of add a little bit of adventure and so forth. And so I remember going over this one, and it wasn't a huge one. It was probably maybe three foot, maybe four foot. I don't know, uh, but I remember going over it, and as I went over it, I, I fell off the tube, and, and I fell off of it at just the right place that the, the, the thrust of the water pushed me to the floor of, of, of the river beneath it, and at first I thought, no big deal. I, I tried to like stand up and swim up, and even if I got off the floor a little bit, it was just pushing me back down, and, and this was going on for, it seemed like forever. Um, but it got to the point that I, I was kind of getting concerned that, you know what, I, I think I might drown down here because as much as I'm trying to fight, as much as I'm trying to push against this water, I'm, I'm just not going to be able to do it. And I remember specifically, like, uh, this thought coming into my head, like, just, just relax, just give up. And, and this, as soon as I stopped fighting with that, that water that was pushing down on me, it spit me right back out. I popped up and I don't even know that anyone knew what had gone on. It's kind of how it is when we resist the will of God. You're never going to win. You're never going to be able to beat the will of God. It's going to beat you down. It's going to beat you down. It's going to beat you down. He's going to try to get your attention. He's going to try to draw you back to him. So it's better to run with God. It's better to surrender to God than to fight against him. When we pray the Lord's Prayer, and we'll do it next week in communion, part of the Lord's Prayer is we pray, your kingdom come, your will be done. And, and the question that I've got to, you know, we got to ask is, are, do you really want God's will to be done in your life? If you do, you got to surrender to him. You see, it's not always easy to follow Christ. If anyone tells you it's easy to follow Christ, they're lying. It's not always easy, but we don't give up. Sometimes you may fall behind, but he's loving and he'll, he'll help you and allow you to catch up. Sometimes you're going to fail and you know what? He's going to forgive you. Sometimes you're going to grow tired and you just can't do it anymore. And you know what? He's going to give you the strength to carry on. In fact, he says, cast your burdens upon me. It's the start of a new year. Where are you resisting the will of God? Where are you maybe becoming angry with God? Um, where, where, where are you fighting against him? Surrender to God and be intentional about it. Have a plan for how you'll make sure that God is not going to drift away. Because in the end, we can run from God, but we cannot hide. Would you join me in a word of prayer? Gracious Almighty God, we just thank you for the story of Jonah in which maybe we can relate to in our own lives, and if not our lives, and lives of people that we love. And I just pray for all of us in here this morning, gracious God, some of us who are fighting against your will, um, help us to not run away. 
Help us to, to repent and, and to submit and to receive your forgiveness. Help us, gracious God, even in the, the pain and the suffering and, and the frustrations and the heartache of life, that, that we can trust that our hands are in your life, our hands are in your life, and, and that, that, that um, you will work all things, even the biggest struggles that we face, that ultimately you'll work it in a way, uh, in a good that we can't even begin to understand. I just pray, gracious God, that... Um, that you help us to be intentional uh, to, in this coming year, grow in our relationship to you, to draw close to you. And uh, we pray, gracious God, that you would, in response, draw close to us. We pray this in Jesus' holy and precious name. Amen.